Welcome to the Cubic Report podcast. Our guest today is a person who has motivated me towards personal excellence in how I view and relate to people. What I've learned from him in his lectures and writings has helped form my mindset towards people, whether it be my peers, whether it be my marriage, even the way I relate to our children and people that I've managed throughout the years. So I want to welcome Greg Thomas to our podcast. He is a certified leadership consultant, and we want to welcome him. Welcome, Greg. Well, thank you, Victor. I certainly appreciate the invitation, and it's great to be here. My wife and I have both appreciated your engaging style over the years. Uh, I know that I've heard you speak at many different events, family-related events, and you've been a person that has really been very, very engaging. And I thought, wow, this guy is a fantastic speaker. He's one of, I feel like, one of the most finest motivational speakers that I have come into contact with. Greg is, has founded Leadership Excellence Limited. Uh, he is a coach, a life coach, but he'll explain a little bit more about what he does. This was back in 2009, offering leadership training and coaching. He has an undergraduate degree from Ambassador College and a master's degree in leadership from Bellevue University. But he's also been the founder and president of We Lead Incorporated, which goes back to 2001 when it was chartered. And We Lead is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and is a major respected resource for free leadership development information reaching a worldwide audience. Greg serves on various boards, including Community Action, an organization dedicated to serving the low-income population living in Wayne and Medina counties in Ohio. And Greg, by the way, lives in the Cleveland area. He's the author of two leadership development books and was selected in December 2009 by Leadership Guide magazine as their leader in action. He has two books, and they are advertised on his website. And by the way, we will have website and contact information available in the notes with this podcast. But he's written two books. One was 52 Leadership Tips, which I'm looking at right now, and the other is Making Life's Puzzle Pieces Fit, which is a breakdown of personal leadership. Anyway, I would like to have you, Greg, uh, tell us kind of where we're going, because we've discussed this now for a couple of weeks about doing this podcast. And I would like you to tell me kind of what you want to offer our listeners. Okay. Well, thank you, Vic. appreciate that very much. I thought the best place for us to discuss, because leadership is a very broad topic, business leadership, there's community leadership, there's leadership within our families. But I thought the best place to begin is a discussion of personal leadership. Uh, Peter Drucker said himself that personal leadership, he sometimes called it being a self-leader, is to serve as the chief, the captain, the CEO of your life. As a matter of fact, he reportedly said that it's the only leadership that's going to matter in the 21st century because it re everything else begins with a deep and profound understanding of what personal leadership is. It's personal leadership that drives us to have an effective leadership and influence in our communities, in our family, in our church organizations, uh, and potentially in our politics, in, in every aspect of life. So that's the root and core of where real leadership begins. It's personal. It's uh, something that begins on the inside. And personal leadership 
is uh, important because it reflects something that's uniquely human, and that is we have free will. As human beings, unlike the other creatures that walk in this earth, we have the ability to make choices and to have free will and to guide and direct our lives. Uh, sure, you go in the animal world and you might say uh, this wolf is, quote, leader of the pack, but that wolf never drives that pack to learn a new language, uh, to build civilizations, to do the kind of things that human beings are capable of doing. We're capable of doing that because of our free will, our choice. And personal leadership comes down to a, a really simple understanding, and that is that in our life, we basically have two choices. We either allow time and chance to make our decisions for us, or we seize control of our life and we create a plan and we develop a process and make the decisions for ourselves. So personal leadership means that you realize that you need to seize control of your life, knowing that if we don't do anything ourselves, a default mission statement that's been created by our, our culture will basically take over our lives. And that mission statement includes things like uh, be selfish. Acqu life is hard, so acquire a, an addiction to get through life. Uh, use and manipulate people. That's what our culture tells us is acceptable. And so therefore, if you don't have your own mission statement, if you haven't made your own choices, you're going to fall prey to the default mission statement that uh, simply exists in this world. And here's the key that I'd like to share with you, Vic, and your audience. And that is we have those two choices. We either have time and chance and time and chance will make the choice for us, or we make our own choices. And the most important thing I could say regarding this whole topic is that time and chance doesn't care about your dreams. Time mm -hmm. and chance could care less about your personal desires or any goals you might have. It's just arbitrary. It just takes us to an arbitrary place. Now, some people, they get very lucky. They wake up one morning and they like where their lives ended up. You know, they become senior citizens and they've lived their lives and they look back in their life and they're satisfied with the way things have turned out. But for the majority of people, they don't like where they ended up. And they ended up at a certain place because earlier in their life, they didn't begin making those necessary choices and they allowed time and chance a phone call, random phone call, responding to a want ad. In other words, wherever the flow of life took them, that's the direction they went in their lives. They were like bobbing like a cork in the ocean, to and fro and back and forth and just allowing circumstances to take over their lives and make all of their major life decisions. In contrast to making our own choices, creating our own path. So in a nutshell, that's why personal leadership is important, and that's why it's kind of the heart and core of an entire discussion on leadership.
Right. And I, that's what I wanted to be able to involve our audience, because some may feel that leadership is, whoa, that's for people who lead, the bosses, the sure. organizers, the, the, the presidents. We really need to start at a very, very personal level. And your book here actually lays that out of where you start to establish uh, as to where you go. You mentioned Peter Drucker, you know, mm-hmm. when first decided to do this podcast. I thought, well, what leadership gurus have I, you know, read before? And I remember this is now 50 years ago because Peter Drucker was kind of an item uh, back in my early years sure. in my career, you know, and we went through, you know, a lot of his stuff. He's still, I guess, living, but I, I just kind of looked him up on, on the internet here recently. And also you mentioned too about leaders, not not being necessarily the alpha types, you know, the person who's bombastic and moves forward and appears to be a leader by default, or the fact that he is just more that kind of, of a nature, but oftentimes doesn't take people to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. And that a person who who's more laid back and is of a different personality type. I mean, I don't consider myself to be an alpha type, but I do know what I want. And I do know that I work with different people and I've had a measure of success. And a lot of it is based upon the lectures that you have given here at Ambassador Bible College. But anyway, uh, I would like you to continue, uh, Greg, and, and tell us about where we're going and where personal leadership can take anybody who's listening to this podcast. Sure. You bet. Happy to do so. First of all, let me dispel some myths about leadership. 50 years ago, if you would have read a common book on leadership, it would would have implied that leaders are kind of born leaders. It's something in their, some magic in their DNA. Or leaders were basically wealthy aristocrats who had influence. As a matter of fact, for Uh, hundreds and hundreds of years in the British military, you had to be an aristocrat to even be an officer. So there was this mindset that leadership is only at the top. It's only for the select few who either have the right DNA and they're just born with charisma or born with something. And those are the people because of their wealth and prestige are the only ones who can be leaders. And of course, we've come to understand and see that that absolutely is not true. As a matter of fact, in the 21st century, if you want to build a business and an organization, you have to emphasize and train everyone in that organization to be lead to be a leader to develop leadership skills because everyone in their own world can indeed be a leader so one myth is that leadership is unique or exclusive another one is to be a leader you have to be dynamic or charismatic or all of these things that our culture tells us is a great leader of course in politics that's what people look towards. Those who are considered the best politicians are those who are real good communicators. But again, that too is a mistake. If you look, for example, at Thomas Jefferson, who no one would doubt was an incredible leader because of his skills and abilities, he was a very shy man. He was a terrible public speaker. It's recorded by some who heard him speak that he spoke low, that you could barely hear him. He had kind of a high, squeaky voice. So his leadership strength wasn't in oratory skills. His leadership strength was in his writing and in his thought process, in the concepts that he came up with. So another myth uh, that many people have about leadership is that somehow you have to be some great, dynamic, charismatic person. Frankly, Um, And this is just my opinion. Most of the people I've met in my lifetime who were charismatic and dynamic were also very manipulative. 
Mm-hmm. It can be very abuse. Those skills and traits, which can be very powerful motivators, are very easy to be abused and to abuse people. So we need to get beyond looking at leaders as someone who's unique, special, powerful, uh, some great genetic mix. Uh, anyone can learn the skills of being a leader, anyone in their own little world, depending on what their talents and abilities and inclinations are, can learn the dynamic skills of personal leadership and get to the point where they can also uh, be leaders of organizations, be leaders of ideas, serve in their community, in their companies, in uh, leadership positions, because after all, leadership basically is influence. And Mm -hmm. One of the big weaknesses of our culture, one that I struggle with most that really bothers me, Vic, is the word leadership can, in our culture, mean someone who's extremely good, and it can also mean someone who's extremely bad. Mm-hmm. So Nelson Mandela can be called a leader. And of course, he was a remarkable man, believed in servant leadership. He changed his life around from being a terrorist who hated uh, people to being one who was able to heal a tremendous breach and create the modern South Africa. So you have men like Nelson Mandela, yet the leader, our culture will also call Vladimir Putin a leader. There's no way that we have today of determining, except putting maybe an adjective, a good leader, bad leader. The word leader is kind of all encompassing and it means anyone who has a huge influential position. So that's something in a culture we struggle with and something that I bristle at because oftentimes I hear people referred to as leaders whom I personally don't think um, have any leadership ability at all. They're more butchers, they're manipulators, they're tyrants, and yet we call them leaders in the media. In our own culture, too, you know, we've had people that, you know, when I went to Ambassador College, for example, we were to be trained to be leaders. Mm-hmm. And people noted people who were great speakers, who were just very eloquent in their speaking. And I know that I wasn't. I mean, I I hardly ever got the most (laughs) effective speaker cup or anything. Sometimes I got the most improved, but a lot of times, you know, I was just very, very average. But we had one person that just got the cup every single time. He just sounded so glib in what he said. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the word was, he's going places. He's going places. Well, he didn't even last a year at, at college that that year uh, you know he just burned out yeah and uh, a lot of these people are, are a flash in a pan like that and just even identifying people like this as effective and eloquent speakers i mean you see them at protest rallies you know these people that are very eloquent in what they say you mm-hmm. know they they, they they sound so good to the people that they're talking to but they really don't have wisdom they don't uh, include people they, they they really are if you let them have their way, you'll have another Hitler or you'll have another person like a Putin who will fill in power vacuums because people that are decent oftentimes don't want to push for those positions. No. So anyway, I'm, I'm so glad that you are popularizing, uh, Greg, this concept of leadership that is for everybody, really. Mm-hmm. But it's got to it's got to start right there in your heart. It's got to start from your personality, and how it goes out. We have so many aspects of this that we can talk about. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. So when one understands the importance of personal leadership, one begins to realize that there's this default mission statement that exists out there. And if I do nothing, 
time and chance is going to pull me into the default mission statement that exists in our culture. So therefore, the first thing that I do with a new client, the very first thing after the initial introduction and hearing about some of their struggles and getting to know them a little bit, step one is we help them to begin to create their own personal mission statement. And this isn't something that's new. It's been the concept of a mission statement's been around a long time. Stephen Covey emphasized the importance of a personal mission statement. Anyone who's uh, ever started a new business is encouraged to create their own personal or their own mission statement for their business. Well, if it's valuable for a business and it can help a business to reach its goals, why wouldn't we create our own personal mission statement? So one of the first things I do to help someone to understand the importance of personal leadership is to develop their very own personal mission statement. And in that mission statement, they begin to clarify in their own words, from their own heart and mind, what their value system is, where their values come from, uh, what their career goals are, what their family goals are, what their uh, philanthropic type goals are. So they begin to outline that and create their own personal mission statement. And then when we work through them and we get them at that point, from that point on, we begin creating individual goals. But here's where most people go wrong. What people do is they read a good book, Tony Robbins or whatever, and they get all excited and motivated and they start setting goals for themselves before creating their own personal mission statement. You just got the cart before the horse. So you end up creating goals that as you get halfway through the goal may not even align with your value system. It may be something that was excitable for a day, the day you created the goal, and then you get halfway through it and you give up, you quit. And why is that? It's because they didn't tease out from their heart and mind what their life mission was first. When you do that mm -hmm. first, then you create goals that align with and help you to meet that mission. If you don't know what your mission is, then you're obviously not going to be creating every goal that's in align with who and what you are. I think it's the phrase in Alice in Wonderland, something like, uh, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. And mm -hmm. yeah. sadly, that's the way many people live their lives. They have no idea where they're going, and they're just allowing time and chance to pop up here and there and pull them in one direction or another and grab them and take them where it arbitrarily wants you to go. And the way that you stop that is that you first take some time and you create your own mission. And it's in your own words, and you tell yourself what you believe in and why it's important for you. And it helps you to guide your life through good times and through bad. And allow me to give you an example. I've, I've had a personal mission statement that I review every springtime as part of a spiritual self-analysis. I, re, I review it and I tweak it, but I've had a personal mission statement for 20, 25 years, long time. And at age 49, I was diagnosed with leukemia, which was quite terrifying. Obviously, I thought mm -hmm. I was going to die. Um, anyone who gets that kind of a diagnosis knows how terrifying when you mm -hmm. hear it. You know, I've been very blessed and I went through a clinical trial and I'm fine. And as of today, uh, there's no uh, leukemia anywhere in my body. But mm -hmm. when I was diagnosed with that, 
I was able to go to my personal mission statement, which right now is the one I reviewed earlier this spring is hanging on the wall behind me. I read that and it reminded me in my own words who I said I am, what my life is all about. And it gave me peace because I realized that whether I'm going to die or not, or whether I'm healthy or whether I'm struggling with a disease, my life mission is the same. My values do not change. And it gave me strength. Reviewing my personal mission statement gave me encouragement and it gave me a sense of peace. Carry on. Keep keep mm -hmm. doing what you're doing. Leave the rest in God's hands and continue working on your mission. So a personal mission statement helps clarify our thoughts and our values. Stephen Covey called it our true north, our north star, something mm -hmm. that gives us guidance in the darkness of life when you're going through some trials and struggles like the northern star up in the sky. It gives you the direction, reminds you of the direction where you should be heading. So uh, it is like a compass and it keeps us focused on uh, what we say in our own words is important to us. So the first thing I do is help people create that personal mission statement. I encourage them to make it public, hang it on a wall. Don't be ashamed of it. It's who you said you are in your own words. Occasionally your spouse may hold you accountable. Uh, you may have something on there that you're not quite living up to. And you know what? That's okay. We all need someone to hold us accountable. So if we say something is a value in our personal mission statement and our spouse points out that we could work on it a little better or one of our children or grandchildren, you know, from the mouth of babes, uh, that's probably a good thing uh, that we're reminded of that. I look at mine and revise it every year in the springtime, and it has served me very, very well because it reminds me of who and what I am. Well, this is so good to hear. I know I've heard you say this before, but to develop a personal mission statement that you refresh on, on a regular basis. I know when you talk about the kinds of things that you want to consider, you talk about values, you talk about family, you talk about philanthropic things. You know, you're really talking about upgrading the human experience from just selfishness and money and position and power and all, all those aspects that are really part of leadership that we see out in the world. Uh, but these are values that are a solid foundation that will get you places and that you could proudly put on a wall. And on a wall, I couldn't put down that I want to be powerful. I want to just be rich and, and I just want to rule over a lot of people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to be a person that will be remembered for people that have been helped. And, and believe me, uh, you talk about being accountable. My wife is a continual monitor. <laughs> I don't have to. I, I don't have to ask her for <laughs> for for an assessment. Uh, I, I get that assessment on, on, on a regular uh, basis, and I do appreciate it. Sometimes it's painful, but in the end, I realize it's important. But this is part of leadership: is being able to break down what you are to prepare the ground so that good things can be planted in it. Yeah, absolutely. The, the actual mission statement template that I use uh, with individuals, it has four parts. The first one is your belief and values, where they come from. The second one is your family mission. And that's true whether you're a teenager and you're single, 
or it's true whether you're a, a grandfather or grandmother and have children and grandchildren, you still have a family. The third one is your career or calling mission. For some people, it's a career. For other people, it's a special calling that they feel they have. And each one of these, you write about a paragraph or so and define uh, what your desired future is. And then the fourth one is called your personal whole life mission. It's kind of putting the three parts together to help you to clarify a more complete life quest. So that's a process that I put my clients through. And then from there, once we know that, we can begin to help them to uh, create goals, life goals, career goals, personal goals, family goals, that will help them to fulfill that personal mission statement. So that's kind of where it all begins. It's intended to be created with meditation, with a self-analysis, I also encourage people who are married to talk to their spouses and get their uh, input on what they think your mission should be. They should at least have an idea of uh, what you're trying to do with your life. I think that's always a positive thing. So that's where we start. And then from there, once you get that process made, you realize that in order to be a great leader, an effective leader, a leader who leaves a legacy in this world that you have to begin to change yourself because we are all a combination of strengths and weaknesses. And to reach the pinnacle of leadership, again, the kind that's enduring, the kind that people will talk about a hundred years or that your family will remember five generations from now means that we begin to change ourselves. Nelson Mandela said that until I changed myself, I could not change others. So mm -hmm. he realized that. Gandhi said that seek to become the fulfillment of what you want to see in others. So change yourself first. That's where it all begins. And then from that point on, you can begin to have a productive influence in organizations and in groups of people. So you do this self-analysis, you begin to change your life, and you have a powerful impact in others. Can I give you an example of this? Yes, please. Okay. So uh, Nelson, give you, well, let's get back to Nelson Mandela, who is really a remarkable man. So he is in prison, justifiably so, for being a terrorist. Mm -hmm. And uh, in prison, he has obviously lots of time to think. I think a life sentence that he originally had, maybe even a, uh, maybe even the death penalty that was commuted to life. I forget the story exactly, but he has lots of time to think. So he begins as he realizes that his attitude was one of hatred, that that never brings about anything good, that hatred never brings about reconciliation. He begins to learn the language of the Afrikaners in prison. He begins to talk to the guards and he just doesn't want to learn it in a rudimentary way. He wants to know the whole language. He wants to know the intimate terms that a mother would use with her child, that a grandmother mm -hmm. might say to their grandchild. He learns that language phenomenally. He's got lots of years in prison to do so. So when the time is right and he's let out of prison 
and it's time for him to negotiate creation of the new South Africa and the end of apartheid. He was able to negotiate using the language of the Afrikaners. He used the enduring terms. He didn't, like some politicians, they play this silly kabuki game of, all right, I'll use my native language to an interpreter, and then the interpreter will interpret it in your language, and you'll respond, and the interpreter will respond in my language. Even though you both know each other's languages, how silly that is. He mm -hmm. refused mm -hmm. to play that game. He negotiated directly in the same language. And because he was able and willing to do that, he created a camaraderie with people who had held him back for his lifetime mm -hmm. and held back his race for a lifetime. And they were able to, go to negotiate the new South Africa. And uh, in spite of its troubles, it still exists today. Uh, I remember when it all happened, uh, you know, the prognosticators were saying there would be a civil war and the nation would collapse. And it certainly has its problems like most other nations, but it still exists today. Now, in contrast, you get a man like Yasser Arafat. He was a very proud, I'm even going to use the word arrogant man. And even though he was very smart, he played that translation game when he would negotiate with the Israelis or anyone else. Again, that little kabuki dance that I speak in my language, it goes to a translator, the translator says, and that person's back and forth, even though I can understand what language you're, you're um, talking in natively. And because of that, that, that aloofness, that arrogance, he never achieved anything for the Palestinian people. As a matter of fact, his attitude may have set the Palestinians back decades. Absolutely, yeah. He refused to do that because of his pride and his arrogance, where someone like Nelson Mandela realized that I have to change as well. I also have to make changes in my attitude towards people and my approach, and I have to build bridges rather than creating a gulf between me and the people that I'm negotiating with. So mm -hmm. that shows you how someone like Mandela was able to understand how he needed to make changes in his life. And once he was willing to do that, a door opened up and he was able to negotiate some very, very difficult things with people who had been his lifelong enemy. You know, we had uh, F.W. de Klerk speak to our Rotary Club in Indianapolis. Oh, wow. He was, he, he was the last apartheid ruler. And he was the one who, during his uh, administration, uh, Nelson Mandela was freed from prison, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he is, he is the one who negotiated a lot of that discussion leading to his release, and also for the new Africa. I would say that it was for what's going to happen in South Africa. And after the clerk, which I had a chance to actually speak to him after his presentation, wow. because he was also a person who wanted to bring about the change and the continuation of that as a nation. He spoke about the fact that people around the world was able to speak to uh, Nelson Mandela, they were able to come to an understanding when the whole world around them was saying, it'll fail, it'll become another Zimbabwe, it'll become another place. And instead, South Africa, South Africa has been one of the most stable places, even though it's not perfect, far from it. Mm -hmm. But it's a nation that's been able to endure. But a lot of it is because of the character of Nelson Mandela, like you mentioned here, and also F.W. de Klerk, you know, who was sure. the last 
of the Afrikaner uh, leaders were able to really practice leadership in humility of what's best for the people. And he talked about how he and Nelson stood up all night, two, three o'clock in the morning and talked and talked and, until they talked these things through because they were so committed to achieving a good result. And I'm so glad you're bringing up this example of uh, Nelson Mandela, uh, Greg. Well, he set a, a, a wonderful example, and there certainly have been others. Uh, but again, it, get, it gets to the heart and core of realizing that we have choices, we can make choices, and we can change ourselves for the better. And as we change ourselves for the better, we prepare ourselves for a greater level of leadership. So it begins on the inside. That's something else that Covey said. It's, it has to begin on the inside before it can ever happen on the outside. So we make mm -hmm. those changes. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci said that he who cannot establish dominion over himself will have no dominion over others. So again, if you want, if you want to go beyond being a tyrant who will be soon forgotten or maybe hated by future generations, if you want to be an effective, powerful, positive, great leader, you first learn to have dominion over yourself, over your own passions, over your own attitude. A uh, big buzz phrase today is emotional intelligence. In other words, learning to read others and their emotions, learning to control your emotions in a mature and balanced way. Uh, they're finding through numerous studies that a person's level of success is more determined by their level of emotional intelligence than it is their IQ. So essential and it's important. And once we realize the personal leadership philosophy, we understand that individuals who embrace the leadership philosophy, personal leadership, they're not perfect. They don't pretend to be perfect. They're human like everyone else. But the difference is, is they do understand the importance of humility they understand the importance of continuous growth. They understand the importance of good communication in one form, writing or speaking or whatever their gift is, and that they can change who and what they are. And when we begin to do that, we set a good example for others. In the family, our spouses notice the difference. Uh, if we have adult children, they begin noticing the difference in us. And in an organizational environment, people want to follow someone who's a person of integrity, who's a person of honesty, who's a person who's very transparent. And if there's a problem, they talk about the problem. Mm -hmm. Someone who's a really good listener rather than someone who's always telling or barking mm -hmm. commands or uh, trying to push people around particularly in the 21st century, that people in the workplace will just not put up with that kind of nonsense anymore of an autocratic leader. There are too many great places to work. So I know. <laughs> so they'll just quit and go and work for someone who respects their skills and abilities, and people will not endure an autocratic leader for long. They'll move on. Mm -hmm. And uh, organizations that tend to be autocratic lose their best people as they move on to other organizations where they're respected and where their talents are deeply appreciated.
Well, Greg, we have really appreciated you bringing this insight here, which is really only scratching the surface mm-hmm. of a very, very big subject. Because what you brought out is something very, very important from not only the way we manage ourselves, but also from a spiritual standpoint of how we relate to a greater power, how we relate Absolutely. to the world, and, and, and things you can't get anywhere until you learn those things. And someday we, we'll get to those things. But I want to thank you very, very much for what things that you had mentioned. Do you want to say anything else here in, in a summary? Well, first of all, thank you uh, very much for inviting me to be on your podcast today. I, I do appreciate that. And I just want to mention my website because there's lots and lots of free material and also my YouTube channel where there are a lot of explainer videos going into more detail uh, than I was able to go into today. So my website is Leadership Excellence Now. That's one word, leadershipexcellencenow.com. But what I'm really excited about, I started this in January, uh, the YouTube site, have over 300 subscribers. Most of my uh, videos have over a thousand views. Um, I've made a particular connection with a lot of folks in India who seem to appreciate my material. But my YouTube channel, if you want to locate it and subscribe, is um, I would go to YouTube and type in Leadership Excellence Channel, Leadership Excellence Channel. And you most likely in the top spot or the first two will see my smiling face. And I would encourage you to uh, subscribe to it. I have weekly leadership tips and quote for the week every Monday morning from individuals. We've talked about some of them today, but I use a broad spectrum of people, including Nelson Mandela and Stephen Covey and Jefferson and Thomas Edison and a number of international leaders that you may not even be aware of. Every week I offer a new quote from someone and a new tip, and that'll come automatically into your YouTube in-mail box. And then uh, I, I season that with regular leadership-oriented videos. I have a video on creating your own personal mission statement. Again, far more than I was able to cover today. couple on personal leadership development. So that's all free material. I uh, encourage anyone who would like to learn more about what Vic and I talked about today regarding personal leadership to go to those sites and learn more about us. And again, thank you so much. Vic, for the invitation, and I hope you'll have me back. Oh, that, I'm so glad you said that because I was going to offer that, and you will be back. <laughs> we we okay. do want to have you back and to be able to say things in the manner that you do. So thank you so much, Greg, for taking the time today to, to speak to us. Thank you, Vic. It's been an absolute pleasure. So we thank you, our listeners, for joining us today on the Cubic Report. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend about it. And you can, you can find us on Apple and Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Pocketcaster, and many other podcasting platforms. So thank you very much for joining us here today. We'd love to hear from you. You could write to us at vcubic at gmail.com vkubik at gmail.com That's my address for now. And again, I want to thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.